Well, hi everyone. Let me add my welcome to Pete. My name's Mark. I'm one of the ministers here and a particular warm welcome if you are joining us online today. It's great to have you with us as we continue our sermon series today in the Old Testament book of Job. This 42 chapter long poetic grappling with the problem of suffering and the question of why. Last week we were introduced to Job himself, a devout, upright man who suddenly loses everything. His wife, his children, his entire livelihood or health and wealth gone. He lost it all. And this week we are literally down in the dust with Job amidst his pain and suffering as his three friends Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar come to him and try and comfort him but do a terrible job of it. So bad does it get that by chapter 16 verse 2 Job is crying out miserable comforters you all are and by the end of the book in chapter 42 God speaks into the situation and says he is angry with Job's three friends that they have spoken wrong about him and they have indeed done a terrible job of comforting him. And so we might think to ourselves, well, why does God give us this huge book with so many chapters full of nonsense and that is bad wisdom and how not to comfort someone in their suffering? Well, let me suggest at least one reason. So that you and I do not make the same mistake today. One of the problems of the internet age is we feel we can read a blog on something because there's so much information at our, our fingertips. We can just read one thing and suddenly queue up with the rest of the internet experts and hold forth on why COVID-19 is happening and the reason behind it and what we all need to do when really we're just one question away from ignorance. If the latest reports are correct, then we are now looking at at least 60,000 deaths in the UK from COVID-19, already a surge in domestic abuse and violence, a rise in addictions, not to mention all the multitude of mental health issues involved in a lockdown. That is to say there is a lot of pain and suffering out there right now and one or two pat answers in a 280 character tweet is not going to cut it. We need real wisdom. We need to know how to comfort well people in grief and suffering and not be a miserable comforter like Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar. So let's take a look at it. Let's see what they get wrong and let's make sure that you and I are not miserable comforters today. Now first three things for us to see. First thing they get wrong. No sympathy. They lack any real sympathy towards Job. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 2. If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Job has just poured out his heart and soul 
to his three friends in chapter three in this very real and emotionally raw way, sharing the pain, the suffering he is going through. And here is Eliphaz. He goes first. This is the first of three speeches. Our reading picked it up halfway through. But do you see how he starts? He's like, come on, Job, what's the big problem? I mean, it's not as if you haven't comforted people before and you did a really good job at it. But now you're suffering and it seems to, seems to be a problem. Why don't you just comfort yourself? Come on, Job, snap out of it. You know what to do. And it's just so cold and heartless from Eliphaz. Here is one of his friends suffering in this terrible way and he seems to show no empathy or sympathy towards him at all. I don't know if you've ever found yourself getting somewhat annoyed inside, even though you wouldn't show it towards a friend who is perhaps sharing an ongoing struggling with you. They, they can't sleep at night or they um, are having low um, moods. They're, they're feeling somewhat uh, depressed and, and you're like, oh, come on, just snap out of it. I mean, no one likes to be around a grumpy grumps. Low moods, get out, go for a run, um, do something for someone else. I mean, you're trying to help, but it lacks any real sympathy at all. And that is a sure first way to be a miserable comforter. Now, why is it that Eliphaz lacks any real sympathy for Job? Well, notice what he says next in verse 7. Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they perish. At the blast of his anger they are no more. In other words, you reap what you sow, Job. This is instant karma. This is good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. If you're suffering, Job, it is your fault. And it is much harder to sympathise with someone when you think they are to blame for what they are going through. But as we'll see in the next point, Job is not to blame and Eliphaz is wrong, but that is why we need to be so careful with the problem of suffering and speaking into someone's suffering because it is way more complex and nuanced than we may think. But if we don't see that and think we've got all the answers and know it all and got God tied up in a box with a neat little bow on top, then we'll come up with pat answers like this one that do more harm than good. But Eliphaz is so sure of his position, he continues to just ram it down Job's throat. Take a look at verse 8. If I were you, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him. Verse 27, the end of his speech. We have examined this and it is true. So hear it and apply it yourself. Eliphaz is so sure of his position. He feels there's no need for him to listen to Job. No careful listening, no gentle probing with questions, no entering into the pain and suffering that Job is going through. He just cuts down the conversation. I'm right, you're wrong, stop moaning, listen to me, do as I say. No sympathy at all. The astrophysicist Stephen Hawking once said, the greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. 
And in a similar sort of way, when it comes to comforting those who are suffering, one of our greatest enemies is presuming that we know what is going on in someone's life and in someone's suffering. And so we say something that is either wrong or is unhelpful or lacks real sympathy with what they are going through. Now, the older you, you become and the more worldly wise you become, or perhaps you go through a period of suffering yourself, you will feel more confident in, in helping people through their grief. And that's a good thing and that's to be welcomed, but never think that you have it all sewn up because your experience of suffering may be quite different to someone else's experience of it. And so we always need to have an open mind and a sympathetic heart. Could be your uh, leader at church of an inspire group of the youth group. And you're thinking, well, people are looking to me for comfort. Perhaps they are coming up to you to ask for it. And you're thinking, well, I should know what's going on. I I'm a leader um, and I should say something and I should say it with confidence and just be careful. Um, actually, what you need to do is listen well, come alongside them, ask them what they need. Is it a shoulder to cry on right now? Is it a gospel truth to um, cling to? Um, whatever you do, sympathise with them. That is one sure way to avoid being a miserable comforter. So that's the first thing that Job's friends get wrong. No sympathy at all. The second thing they get wrong is they are quick to blame Job because they have no concept of an innocent sufferer. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 7 again. Who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? There is no such thing as an innocent sufferer, Job. And we see a similar sentiment in chapter 5, verses 6 to 7. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. In other words, if you are reaping trouble in your life, Job, you must have planted it. So stop complaining. This is your fault. Now, I'd be interested to know what you make of Eliphaz's words here, because sometimes in our life, the suffering we face is our fault. So, for example, if I got really drunk tonight, did something stupid, uh, woke up and suffered a hangover in the morning, you could rightly say to me, look, Mark, this is your fault. But that is a terrible burden to place on someone, telling them your suffering is your fault when they have done nothing wrong. Three times we are told in the start of the book of Job that he is blameless. Once by the author, chapter 1, verse 1, and twice by God himself in chapter 1, verse 8 and chapter 2, verse 3. Three times we're told Job is blameless. He's blameless. He's blameless. Do you get it? He has done nothing wrong. Now, it might be we struggle a little bit with the idea of being blameless because aren't we all sinners? That is to say, doesn't every human being fall short of God's standard of perfection? Now, only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus is sinless. So how can Job be called blameless? Well, here's the thing. Blameless does not mean sinless. Blameless means, chapter 1, verse 1, fearing God, shunning evil, 
Job is a man of integrity who trusts in God as his redeemer, chapter 19, who loves his family, who is so concerned with the spiritual well-being of his children that in chapter 1, verse 5, we're told that it was his regular custom to sacrifice a burnt offering just in case his children had sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So sure, Job is not sinless, but he is blameless. And it is so important that we have this category of innocent suffering in mind when we comfort those in grief. Otherwise, what do you say to the person who's born a paraplegic? That it was somehow their fault or their parents' fault? Or those who are dying from COVID-19 compared to those who don't even know that they've even had it? Are you saying that those who died are in some way worse people? That they must have deserved it in some way? My wife and I, we watched uh, Goodwill Hunting again last week. Amazing film. There is this scene towards the end, pivotal scene, where Will Hunting, this brilliantly gifted mathematician played by Matt Damon, begins to open up about his past and the abuse that he suffered, terrible abuse, terrible suffering, at the hands of his father. And Sean, his say played by the late Robin Williams. This is the scene he won the Oscar for. Starts moving towards Will saying, it is not your fault. It is not your fault. And Will is like, stop it. Stay away. Don't do this to me. Stop messing with me. Will has built up this wall around him um, so he doesn't get too close to people, doesn't let people in. And Sean's going, it's not your fault. Will, it's, it's not your fault. And then suddenly, Will hunting... <laughs> He accepts this for the, for the first time, that, that, that it isn't his fault. And they embrace and all this emotional release comes out. And it is a wonderful time of healing and restoration for Will. It's a beautiful scene. Do watch the film if you, if you haven't. And can I ask, do you know something of this innocent suffering? Not just with respect to other people, but with respect to God. Or whenever anything wrong or bad happens in your life, are you immediately thinking, oh my goodness, now what have I done wrong? God must be punishing me in some way. God must be disciplining me in some way. God must be pointing out some hidden or unconfessed sin. And what is it? And I better find it and repent of it. Now, sometimes that is the case. But it doesn't have to be always the case. And sometimes there's another reason for our suffering, another purpose behind it, instead of God pointing out some particular sin. So let's be careful when we're comforting those in grief and in suffering, not to draw too close a link between someone's suffering and their personal individual sin. Otherwise, we may fall into the same trap of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar and be a miserable comforter to our friends. So that's the second thing they get wrong. They are quick to blame because they have no concept of an innocent sufferer. The third thing they get wrong is they make no mention of the cross. Chapter 4, verse 7, one final time. Consider now who, being innocent, has ever perished. Now, you might think I'm being a little bit harsh with Job's friends, saying that they make no mention of the cross. This is the Old Testament. This is thousands of years before Jesus has even turned up on the scene. Of course they make no mention of the cross. 
But what I mean by this is they don't even conceive of the possibility of it, that the innocent could suffer, could die, could perish. And yet the very heart of the Christian message is that is exactly what happened 2,000 years ago when God himself was born into this world. And you think of the pain and suffering involved in, in childbirth. And Jesus grew up to be rejected by his own people and arrested and tried as a common criminal. He was mocked, spat upon. He was betrayed with a kiss. He was abandoned by his closest friends. He had a crown of thorns driven into his skull, nails hammered into his hands as he was hung up on a cross to die. And he suffered and experienced not just the excruciating pain of physical torture, but also the eternal pain and suffering of being separated from his father in heaven as he bore the penalty of all our sin. Even Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, cried out the question, why? why? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, the innocent does suffer. The ultimate innocent one, Jesus, was sinless, was perfect, and yet here he is suffering for you and for me and for all our sin and for all those times that we aren't perfect. Jesus Christ dying, the sinless for the sinful, the perfect for the imperfect, he forsaken, so we could be forgiven and be blameless before God and one day enjoy a future when there will be no suffering ever again. Christopher Ashe has this wonderful little line in his commentary about Job's three friends. He says, with their tidy, impersonal, theological code, the comforters miss the very heart of the universe. They can't even conceive of it, the innocent suffering and such good coming from such pain, the salvation of the world. Now, I hope that is a comfort to you if you are suffering right now. That with God, your suffering is never wasted. There is always a purpose to it, even if you can't see it. Do you think Job had any idea, you know, amidst his suffering, it's what he was going through now, that one day he would have a whole Bible book written about him and what he went through? Do you think he had any idea that over time he would become an example to millions of people of how to endure suffering patiently, as the New Testament letter of James puts it? He had no idea. He was never told about God's greater purpose in mind. And perhaps you have no idea right now why you are suffering, but you can be sure that there is a purpose to it and you can trust God with it. So as we respond to COVID-19 today, the pain and suffering we might be going through or we see around us, let's make sure that we avoid simplistic half-truths and pat answers. Let's make sure that we avoid being a miserable comforter like Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, who lack sympathy, who are quick to blame and who make no mention of the cross. Instead, let's draw alongside people, let's weep with those who weep, and let's sit at the foot of the cross and point people to Jesus Christ, the only one where true and ultimate comfort can be found. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we 
Thank you very much for the book of Job and what you have shown us today about how not to comfort those in grief and suffering. Please help us not to lack sympathy, not to be quick to blame, but instead to talk much over the cross and point people to Jesus Christ and his suffering with us and for us, knowing that only there with him can true ultimate comfort be found. Please would we receive that comfort ourselves. Please would we offer that comfort to others. Help us with this, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.